Okay, I'm back. I wasn't gone for that long. So today we're going to jump back into our study of Ruth. We, we, we took a week off last week because David was here preaching and then uh, I wasn't. So we're in lesson six of a seven-part series. Today's lesson is called Redeeming Ruth and we're going to be in chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. So let's do a quick uh, refresh. In the days of the judges, Amalek and Naomi left the house of bread to go to Moab. The place that they shouldn't have gone, but they left anyway. They had two sons, Malion and Chilion, and married Orpah and Ruth, then died. That's the gist of the story. Uh, And then Amalek died. So now there's no man in the family. So Naomi had no one to take care of her. And she heard that God was restocking the house of bread, Bethlehem. So she says one morning, let's go back to Bethlehem. And her two daughter-in-laws follow her. And they're going back there to see how they all fare in Bethlehem. Well, Orpah and Ruth followed, but Naomi tried to send them back. She didn't want any responsibility for Orpah and Ruth. So she's saying, no, go back to your own country. Go back to your own gods. I'm just going to go back and let whatever's be, be. But but, uh, Orpah, we know, left. We hear no more of Orpah. And then uh, Ruth said, no, I'm going with you. And not only said that she's going to go with her, she says, your God is going to be my God. I'm going to, I'm going to go where you are. I'm going to be with you till you die. And your, gods are going to, your God is going to be my God. So they get back to God's restocked pantry, and we find out that Ruth is a hard worker and is strong. Because she could carry a lot of wheat. And, and we find, uh, but a new person shows up then named Boaz. And we find out that he's a generous and kind man. And that he may be a kingsman redeemer. And then in chapter 3 we find out that Naomi is planning and formulating a plan to see if Boaz will redeem Ruth. This is a pretty risky plan too. This could have gone so south. Uh, but we know that Boaz is a respectful man and honors Ruth and says he's going to take care of it in the morning. He sends Ruth home with a lot of grain. This is how we know she's really strong. And this is where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Ronald Reagan said this about America one time said, America was founded by people who believed that God was their rock and safety. I recognize we must be cautious in claiming that God is on our side. But I think it's all right to keep asking if we're on his side. I think that's a question that we should all ask, by the way. I think uh, that Ronald Reagan's statement here is a very good statement saying, are we on God's side? Are we doing God's work? See, the innate human desire to leave a legacy behind 
This desire to be remembered makes us ask questions like, how will our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren remember me? How will history remember my life? And by the way, we're all three generations from being forgotten, just so you know. I, I, can't, I don't know my great-great-grandparents. I mean, we're all three generations from being remembered. I don't even know any stories about them. So it, it, very few people are remembered in this world. You know, I don't know if you've heard band, the Beatles. But in 1966, they wrote an album called Revolver. Which Bob Dylan allegedly said to Paul McCartney, Oh, I get it. You don't want to be cute anymore. Because they went from singing all these love songs to the, the album Revolver is actually a really, really, really good album. And uh, it's completely different to what they'd done previously. And they'd, they were starting to, I think, become their own band. But they, on that album, there's a song called Alan, Eleanor Rigby. You've probably heard of that song. Uh, which was written by Paul McCartney. It's a song about two people. Here's, here's the lines from verse 3 and the chorus. Eleanor Rigby died in a church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came, Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walked from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? See, Paul McCartney paints this picture of these two lonely people. That lives cross and nobody cares. No one will ever remember them. There's a funeral and nobody comes. You know, no one's there. Just Father, Father McKenzie and he walks away all alone. You know, this is a picture of people forgotten forever, their legacy gone, their whole lives buried with them in the grave. In the book of Ruth, that we've been studying for five weeks, this is nearly happening to Elimelech's family. You see, he had his two sons, they died, he died, leaving Naomi and Ruth So their family, as soon as Naomi and Ruth die, there is no more family. There's no more legacy. It's over. See, but God, in his gracious covenant love, brings along Boaz. He's a godly man, a manly man, a man of valor. He's a man of good character. He is willing to sacrifice his own inheritance, we'll find out today, to redeem Ruth, Naomi, and the land that Amalek owned. He purchased it, he's going to purchase it back and keep it in the family. You know, easy fix. All I've got to do is marry Ruth and keep this family's name going. But a couple of weeks ago, we found out there's a snag. There's a snag to this problem. There's a redeemer closer than Boaz. There is a family member who has first right to redeem them. The, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible explains redeemer or redemption like this. 
These are English words derived from a Latin root meaning to buy back, thus meaning the liberation of any possession, object, or person, usually by payment of a ransom. In Greek, the root word means to loose and to set free. The term is used of freeing from chains, slavery, or prison. In the theological context, the term redemption indicates a freeing from the slavery of sin, the ransom or price paid for freedom. This thought is indicated in the Gospels, which speak of Christ who came to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's see how Boaz plans on redeeming Ruth. Ruth 1 through 4 says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, that's an important word in the book of Ruth, by the way. This word, and behold, is, the per, uh, is important. The Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to her relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one beside you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. See, so Boaz rises early up in the morning and goes to the city gate and he waits for the town elders to gather at the gate. Now, I can just imagine Boaz sitting there on the bench waiting, all nervous, Thinking about what's going to happen here. See, then, just as he was sitting there at the gates, behold, by the way, I said that word means something. It is the highlighter for the book of Ruth. Behold, look what's going to happen. Saying, look, here's God showing his providential activity. The closer relative who Boaz mentioned to Ruth just happens to appear. Just happens. She just happens to happen in his, in, in, into Boaz's fields. She just happens to come back at the right time. All this just happens. It's saying... This is not a coincidence. There was a lot of people that lived in Bethlehem. For him just to stroll by and go, whoa. And he just happens to appear. And Boaz says to him, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. By the way, that, that word translated friend is a crap translation of the word. Right? It is not a very good translation of the word. Because... The real translation for, from the Hebrew, because, because if we translate it friend, we think Boaz, this is a friend of Boaz's. And it seems intimate. But, it, but it's not. 
This Hebrew word that is translated friend is a rhyming word. Polona almona. Which is a meaningless word. Meaning such and such or so and so. So for the purpose of this sermon I want you to meet Mr. So and so. Because that's who he is. Mr. So and so. It's actually funny that we don't have his name, isn't it? You know, I mean, think about this. The author of Ruth, even though he was careful enough to tell us us in detail about other things, like how much grain Ruth is carrying home, he seems to have forgotten to tell us this man's name. This is just Mr. So-and-so. And I'm sure Boaz knew his name. You see, I don't want you to forget about this. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But, but now, this Mr. Mr. So-and-so is told something like this by Boaz. Naomi has a field. She needs to sell it to raise some money to live on. If there were a kingman redeemer, however, he could redeem it. He could buy the field and keep it in the family. Of course, the buyer would ultimately get to add it to his own inheritance, provided that there were no children involved. That's how it worked back then. They would take care of it. And you see, this is, this is what Mr. So-and-so is thinking, by the way, when he says he's going to redeem it. This is a deal of a lifetime. Naomi's old. I buy the field from her, I take care of Naomi, I get the field, she dies, it's going to go to my kids. You know, notice how fast he agreed in the first four verses. He didn't even ask any questions. He just said, I'll buy it back. It's a deal of a lifetime. I get this free field, really, just from taking care of of Naomi for the rest of her life. But let's continue. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. Take note of that. Ruth, the Moabite. The widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. Again, a lot of detail for somebody you haven't even mentioned their name. But he's going to tell you what the deal, how to, how to sign a deal back then. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting a, a, a in Israel. So now they've got odd sandals on. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malion. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malion, I have brought to 
to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. See, I think Boaz surprises Mr. So-and-so. See, by saying, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, there's a catch. You know, it's like when you buy something from a, from a, a <laughs> they leave out the big details. Oh, by the way, there's a catch. If you buy this, you get this. If you, you, you really want this, most people wouldn't even tell you that. They would just let you buy it and see what you inherited. But, but Boaz really wants to redeem Ruth, obviously. Because at this point, he could have just led, said, okay, go buy the field. He didn't have to tell him, oh, by the way, when you buy it, you're going to get Ruth the Moabite. And this is because Boaz is doing some shrewd business right now. He knows what he wants. So he offered the offer. Let the guy said he'll redeem it. But then said, are you sure? Because if you redeem it, now you've got to do this. See, Boaz calls Ruth the Moabite. This is weird. Why didn't he just call her Ruth? You know, it makes me ask, and I hope it does the same for you. Why would he have said Ruth the Moabite? See, I think he does this because Israelites hated Moabites. So he is being a shrewd businessman by, 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 by telling this Mr. So-and-so he doesn't know much about, who doesn't know much about Ruth and how she was converted to Yahweh. See, Mr. So-and-so doesn't know that Ruth is now a follower of God. They're Yahweh. He, she, he doesn't know how hard-working she is, what, worthy, what sort of worthy woman he is. He just knows she's a Moabite. And I'm not marrying a Moabite woman. That's what he was saying. Um, and, he sh- and how she has shown God's has said covenant grace and love to Naomi. He doesn't know all this. He doesn't know. Look, this woman took care of her mother-in-law when she didn't have to. She could have stayed back in Moab. And she didn't, he didn't know that Ruth was a worthy woman who anyone would be lucky to have married. See, and all Mr. So-and-so could think of is what will it cost? What will it cost? What will I lose if I marry her? That was his thinking. Remember that because we sometimes act Like this. What will it cost me? Goes on the last two verses we're going to do today. says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephra, and be known in Bethlehem. 
And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. I mean, everybody else seems to be blessing him. Not Mr. So-and-so. See, Mr. So-and-so earlier was so quick to say yes to the deal because it seemed like a can't-miss real estate deal. You know, this is because he's all in if he just has to take care of an old lady until she dies in return for the long-term payout of a field. See, but this deal had just become an investment nightmare for him. See, you see, if there was to be a child from this relationship with Ruth, the Redeemer would lose the field and there would be no benefit for his own children and a state to compensate for the cost in taking care of Ruth and Naomi. See, in other words, Mr. So-and-so was interested in ministering to the poor because that's what he would have been doing. Only if there was a payout for himself and his family. See, costly ministry without a payment, then forget it. See, this is the great irony, and I love a good irony. I don't know about you, and it is this. By seeking the protection of his own future legacy in this way, Mr. So-and-so ended up leaving himself nameless. He ended up leaving himself nameless. His name's not in the book. It's pretty crazy. He, he missed out. This Mr. So-and-so missed out on the biggest legacy. The biggest legacy of all. See, a place in God's plan for salvation. He turned it down. He didn't know that's what he was turning down. But you see, we're a lot like that. We turn down opportunities every single day. Because we don't think they're going to turn out. But God might be using that to, to do some at 50 years from now when you're long gone. You don't know God's plan. See, Boaz took a different and more sacrificial approach, embracing the opportunity to leave a legacy for somebody else. It wasn't going to be his legacy. His firstborn child would be Elimelech's grandson, basically. Passing down Elimelech's line. You see... This is clear, what he said at the city gates. See, it begs me to ask the question, why do we have giant checks? Why do we have giant checks? You know what? When a business wants to give some money away, what do they do? They make a six foot by three foot check. They call a press conference. They hold it up saying, we're going to give to whatever. And our big names on that, they're not giving, they're giving money to the organization. Okay, great. If somebody does that for us, I'll take it. But do you know what they're doing? They're buying advertising. That's all they're doing. 
That's all they're doing. When you write a giant check and give it away, and you call a press conference, or you want your picture in the paper or whatever, you're just buying advertising. Good press. Oh, look at them. Aren't they aren't them people so generous? You see, you see, I'll give if I get something in return. See, it's the same when we give to anything if we don't get a tax write-off. Would we still give? Would we still give? There's a lot of businesses. The reason they give is because, guess what? If they give, they get a tax break. I think back before when it was easier, before they changed the, the way our taxes are done, people used to give to the church or give to organizations for the same reason. Hey, I'll get a tax break if I give here. I'm not saying we shouldn't get a tax break. I don't think we shouldn't take the tax break. I'm saying if that's the reason to give, you're giving for the wrong reason. See, the Bible says when you give, don't let the, the right hand know what the left hand is doing. That's what the Bible says about giving. That's pretty hard seeing as they're attached to the same body. But the Bible says don't let that happen. Don't, you don't need to brag about it. Just do it. See, I'll give as long as I get something in return. That might be a pat on the back from somebody. Congratulations. You're such a wonderful person because you give so much. I love people who give. Some people have just got the gift of giving. They don't look at what it's going to cost them. They just do it. But there's a lot of people that do it so they can get a pat on the back. There's a lot of people that do it because they think it's, it's oh, that'll make me feel better. If I give some of it away, it'll make me feel better. Well, even that is the wrong reason, by the way. If you're giving because you think it will make you feel better, if you give, you're giving for the wrong reason. Because I'm telling you, it's not going to make you feel better. Maybe for a few seconds. But then you'll have to do something else and something else. See, God's got a new math. See, we often evaluate our involvement in evangelism and ministries of mercy according to the same scale as Mr. So-and-so. We ask questions like, what's in it for me? Or, or, if we're a church, we go, what's in it for us? See, will it fulfill me? Will I enjoy it? What will it cost me? And cost, by the way, is also time. The most valuable thing everybody has in this room is time. Because guess what? You're not getting any more. Just had this conversation with, with somebody. I'm doing the funeral for their husband. And she was asking all these questions. Did this uh, happen? Because actually, uh, I'm, I'm COVID free today. But I wasn't last week. And this, per- this family gave me COVID. And then she started, did COVID kill my husband? I, she started freaking out. And I'm like, 
she was a Christian, I said, well, here's what I will say. God knew the time he was born and the time he was going to die. So if COVID helped in the process, he was going to die that day anyway. There is no more extra extended time. He only had so many days to live. You know, in doing the math, we get the answer to the question as complete, completely wrong as Mr. So-and-so because we have left God out of the equation. We've left God out of the equation. We calculate and protect ourselves and insist that two plus two can only ever equal four. But when God's involved, it's not the, that is not true. See, and we will never have the blessings we have lost. You see, the small book of Ruth shows us that God's kingdom operates on a different kind of calculate, calculus. A, let's call it a new math in which the way to fulfillness runs through emptiness. See, Mr. So-and-so didn't do that kind of math. So the numbers didn't add up to him. He clung to what he had. And in doing so, he lost something much greater, something he could never have dreamed of. See, by contrast, Naomi earlier lost all things she had, been, she had been clinging onto, all the earthly fullness. She lost it by walking away, really, from God. When she moved from Bethlehem to, to, to Moab, she was walking away from God. And by walking away from God, her family lost everything. You see, but if she had never lost everything, we would never have known about her. And she would never have come to appreciate Ruth's true worth. Or grew in her own understanding of the Lord, her God. You know, in the background of this story, you've got to think, Naomi is growing spiritually through all of this. She can't believe how good God is. See, Boaz, on the other hand, was an A student at this new math of God. He had an open heart for the poor. We saw it in chapter 2 as, as Ruth gleaned in the field. You see, he didn't just go and say, yes, you can glean in my field. He said, hey, hey guys, when you're going around, just drop some extra so she can get. You know, he showed grace to the poor. In terms of financial and social equation, it was also always going to be a losing proposition for him to marry a Moabite woman. See, he was entering a relationship so that she could have a son to inherit the property he had just put out good money to buy. This was not good fiscal sense. See, but the Lord's wisdom operates on a different kind of calculus from the wisdom of the world. See, part of the calculus is putting what the Lord thinks of us before what we would think of ourselves. You see, Boaz was more concerned with God's ability to give him a great name than he was about preserving his own reputation. 
See, do you think it was easy for him knowing that he was going to marry a Moabite woman as good as Ruth would have been as a wife? A forbidden race. He would have been causing lots of problems. Even though they blessed the marriage, it would have caused social problems. See, Boaz gladly took Ruth to himself, proudly giving her the same title Mr. So-and-so ran away from in verse 10, Ruth the Moabite. He made it clear that that the transaction was not about him. See, this is not the normal way to make a name for ourselves. See, but in God's sight, Boaz knew he would always have a name. See, God's favor was more important to him than acquiring a name in the world. Let's revisit the the text that Bob uh, kindly read to us. We're going to start in verse 3, though. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. You know how often we do this? Every time we sin. All sin is selfishness. You can put every sin in that bracket of selfishness. What do I want that will make me happy? More money, drugs, sex, overeating. You put it there. What will make me happy? I'm going to do it. I don't care if it's going to hurt anybody. It's basically what you say. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You see, the whole of the Christian life is about unselfishness. Don't think of self. Self is not important. You see, here's the thing. If we got this, if I don't worry about me, but I worry about everybody else, somebody's going to be worrying about me, aren't they? And taking care of me. If we got this, 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 this math from, from the Bible. That's what the Bible teaches us. To think of others before yourself. Because if we all did that, you'd be thinking of me. So somebody would be thinking of me. So I wouldn't have to worry about me because everybody else is worried about me. It will start making us be unselfish. Putting others' needs before ourselves. Have the mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's telling you this is yours. This is a promise, by the way. We're supposed to hold on to these things. It's ours. If you are in Christ, that means if you are a Christian, you have the ability to do this. There's no excuses. Who, though, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, this text, the way up is down. See, this is the difference between the world and God. The way, the way to become great is to become the least. The way to be at the front is to get to the back. You want to be wealthy? Give it all away. That's what the Bible teaches us. You want power and influence? Serve everyone first. You want security? Throw away your so-called security and find your security. Not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus. You see, those who forsake their own legacy and forsake their own glory and seek the glory of Christ, living to love and serve God, will have an eternal name and will be remembered forever. See, and those who choose to chase fame and status and glory for themselves will chase the wind. Their grave and eternity will scratch its head trying to remember who they were. See, we all live to advance a name. Every one of us wants to advance some sort of name. That, 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 that choice is up to you whose name you want to you want to advance but there's only one name there's only one name worth advancing and that is the name of Jesus see I said this to say in my life and I hope and pray in yours too I want God's name to be made supreme Count Zendorf, I've got a t-shirt that says this because I, I love the quote. It says, he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's what I want with my life. I don't want people to remember me. I want them to remember the Jesus that I love and that I want everybody to know. That's who I want. I don't care if anybody remembers me. I want them to remember Jesus. See, I want God's name to be made supreme. We need to live a life that's all about Jesus. See, that's why I say that the church exists to make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus. If you ever go to our website, that's on the front page. We exist to make much of Jesus. That's why I exist. To make much of Jesus. See, if we get this, it will radically change us. If we live to glorify Jesus, it it will give us incredible freedom. A freedom to serve and love others that Mr. So-and-so never had. 
See, because we could give everything we own away to the poor and be no less wealthy. Because our wealth is not in what we own, but my wealth is in Jesus Christ. See, we can serve others with all our time and still not have wasted any of it. See, we all have excuses why we can't do something, why we can't volunteer. That's why 100% of the work gets done by 5 to 10% of the people in the church. Because, oh, I don't have time. Because my time is not my own time. It's not for building myself an empire and a kingdom, but it's a gift from God to show His extreme worth. See, we can sacrifice our pride and our position to serve others because our position is not ultimate. Christ's is. See, my life's goal is not to be famous, but to live for the fame of Jesus. So if Christ advanced through my humiliation, my suffering, my pain, and through me being an idiot, which, by the way, isn't hard to do. Mission accomplished. If I can make God's names famous because I'm a screw-up, basically, and he's not, more power to him. You see, I can live, and so can you, with such freedom because it is ultimately for God's glory and not mine. See, we can live with Psalm 1611 tattooed to our hearts so that our name... Wait. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand and our pleasures forevermore. You see, if we think that verse and live that verse, we are radically changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. In uh, Isaiah 26, He says, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and your remembrance are the desire, the desire of our soul. Is that your desire? The name of Jesus to be known? Because I don't think we act like it very much. I don't think we live like that is the desire of our soul. That Jesus would be made famous and not us. I think if we get that, that simple, simple idea to make Jesus famous, it would change the world. Because heaven would be fuller. So this week, I want you to, to read verses four, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, which we went through today. And ask yourself, are you more like Mr. So-and-so? Or are you more like Boaz? Where do you fall? And then spend some time each morning asking God, to make you more like Boaz. I think we could all be more like Boaz. Reflecting the true grace of Jesus to the world. And then read the rest of Ruth. 
chapter 4, 13 through 22. And join us next week for the conclusion of Ruth, Fields of Grace, A Legacy of Grace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are a God that is full of uh, grace and mercy. That even though we don't lift your name up as much as we should, that sometimes we walk around like you don't even exist. You still love us and you still cover us with your grace. But I pray, God, that you help us all to shine a light in this world so bright that because you existed in our lives, heaven is fuller. Not because of anything we did, but because of everything you did. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.